Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Ready to Go show. And today we're going to be all touchy feely. I know it's just been a couple of weeks since we talked about making emotional connections, and now we're going to be talking about empathy the ability to identify with and vicariously experience the thoughts, feelings, and attitudes of someone else. It basically means do you grok it? Do you understand fully how someone else feels, even maybe more than they do? Uh, maybe people don't even know exactly how they feel about a particular thing, but because you're such an open person that you understand this. And so we're going to discuss, is it really possible for companies to be empathetic? Good morning from New York City, where it's a beautiful, crisp fall day. and. Um, I was in Central Park with my dog this morning looking at the leaves and the trees and it, it's just a beautiful, you can't believe it's November. <laughs> yeah. Jess, you were telling us uh, in Boulder, you, you, were, you were supposed to get snow but it didn't happen. Boulder and colder rhyme by the way, so just so you guys, <laughs> it is really cold here, it's not as cold as it could be and we were supposed to get snow but the snow went to Denver and the snow went east a little bit into western Kansas. And missed us. Okay, Scotty, how are things in Seattle? Oh, it's a beautiful blustery day. It's uh, 56 degrees right now, the high for the day, uh, and forecasted winds of uh, up to 50 miles an hour. So I couldn't be happier. Speaking of blustery, so let's talk. <laughs> We're going to be talking now. We're going to be you can, blustery. You can empathize with me, right? <laughs> From our site, yes. And I do empathize with you guys as you know, we're, we're, our, our winter is coming really fast. So, to repeat, the definition of empathy, you know, you know, is the, you know, the ability to identify, and I think the important one here is vicariously, you know, living through someone else's experience, uh, the thoughts, feelings, and attitudes of someone else. And I'm going to read um, something which I put in the event page uh, from our friend Eli Fennell, who is an incredible mind. I just love following this guy because he really writes some really cool stuff. But he was uh, he he wrote this quote in a in a Google Plus post about another article talking about empathy, and he says, you know, you need to know what the goals of the buyers really are, and how those goals influence their needs over the course of the buying process. Well, we know that, right? I mean, that's about building business personas and knowing who your client is. He says this requires some empathy, the ability to understand not only the rational needs of the buyer, but also their emotional and otherwise non-rational motivators, if any. And uh, yeah, I think, and I went. What I took from that is that we have to kind of go beyond building client personas and, and taking data and, you know, digesting data to find out who our clients are, what they want. That's a very rational. That's, you know, that's taking algorithms and all that to try to figure out, was this person going to like this product? That's not empathy to me. Empathy is that you have to kind of put yourself in that buyer's place and look at it from their point of view. And, and, and do they connect, as we said in the last year, do they connect emotionally to that, to that product or a, or a service? And that's kind of difficult to do. So I'm going to ask the panel to start off the conversation basically is what does empathy in a business context, context look like? I'm happy to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're saved by the bell, Jess. Be all taking it. Well, as I was telling you in the green room, I, I used to run a company that handled complaints for consumers pre-internet and I wrote hundreds of letters and got people, you know, new refrigerators and cars and all kinds of things from companies and and my experience with all of those people is that I was sort of like a cross between a shrink and a lawyer, but cheaper and more effective. <laughs> and my experience was that all people really wanted was for someone to say, 
I'm sorry that happened to you. Let's see how we can fix that. You know, they just wanted to be heard. And over and over and over again, I heard nobody would listen to my complaint. And, you know, and if they would listen, they wouldn't do anything about it. So people just want to be heard. But when you talk about a big company, are there minimum wage customer service people going to be empathetic? I think not. Oh, that, that's an excellent point. You're right, because there's things factoring in that. First of all, their minimum wage. Are they really a stakeholder in the company? Do they really care as opposed to just you know, clocking in on, on their job? So maybe that's, that's, maybe that's an issue. That's a business culture thing. And I, what I was going to start with was empathy, the willingness to listen, the ability to hear without judgment is a big part of the culture and it's a top-down. It really can't be a bubbling up effect. It has to start at the top. And I'm going to take you know minimum wage out of it because there are some amazing people that make minimum wage that do a great job and they want to be there and they want to help and you see that in their person versus somebody who is showing up to just punch a clock and that that comes down to you know now we're getting into how all the different areas of business whether it's HR whether it's customer service whether it's product development or design user interface what those mechanisms are to communicate with customers everybody's trying to bring in a piece of empathy from their own worldview forgetting the most important piece going back to what you said Ray in the sense that we've got to know who our customer is and what their worldview is and make sure what we're giving them matches. Mm. Well, there's a missing piece of what you said, and that is that in a company like Zappos, where a person has the ability to say, you know, I'm going to credit you for that sale, and I'm going to send you something else, or I'm going to make you a VIP, or whatever. If you don't give the people the power to make decisions, if they have to go to a supervisor to make a decision, like, yes, you can have a refund, then I'm sorry, but, it, it, you know, empathy is not part of the formula. Well, you know, you've got, a, you've got uh, someone like basically seconding your 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 statement, and she's you know, and he's saying this is John. Uh, is saying that spot on. People want to know that you'll engage enough to listen to them. He's often found that you know uh, that can be resolution enough for their complaint. But I've been in the situations where I, I have a complaint or I bring something back or I have a question, and you really do feel you're being condescended to. They're just they just want to sort of get rid of you, so they'll give you whatever. Oh, here's a coupon. You know, whatever. They're not listening to my problem. They're, you know, they're basically processing me. You know, as a troublesome client. Well, I am a troublesome client, and last week I, I find that very difficult to believe. You know. No. <laughs> <laughs> Had a big run-in with Yahoo. And here you have a company the size of Yahoo, and you can't get a human being on the phone. I didn't think that was a good thing. So what, what they're trained to do in big companies is they have to monitor 24-7 to identify that you might have a real problem, but then they try immediately to get you into a direct message situation rather than to have your complaint in public. My advice to anybody with a problem is don't go there. Keep your complaint in public. And, you know, I went back and forth for almost an entire day until I found out that in, this is Yahoo. How many people work there? How many thousands? There are five, count them, five people on what they call their customer concierge team who are there to handle the complaints that actually get escalated to the point where somebody really better do something. So, you know, is that empathy? I don't think so. First question was, what does empathy in marketing look like? And evidently, it doesn't look like that. So, <laughs> so just, if you That's what I was, and I was going to swing right back around to that too, Ray, in the sense that 
we're talking about people that are having problems that get put in the in the news. What about all the companies that do have really great empathetic processes and interactions and approaches to the world? And we're not talking about kind of well, Can you give us an there. example, Jess, of, of a company that's an empathetic company? Chewy.com, where you can get my dog food. They answer their phone 24-7, and if you have any kind of problem, there's a lovely person on the other side of the phone who's truly apologetic about it and fixes it. You know, Zappos is another one. Um, I like Evernote service. I like how they train their employees at White House Black Market. I mean, I, I by the way, they have created a loyal customer out of me, and it's really hard to get me to be loyal to anything. <laughs> so they've done a really good, they, and that's where it goes. When you're empathetic from the beginning, and you know what you want to do for a customer, and you know where your individual pain points are so you can be on the lookout for what might be bubbling up before it becomes an, a full-out, blown-on mess, if you will, and you know how you uniquely provide a service to the people that you're giving your product to, I think that's a big, big part of it. And if we have products that actually solve something versus products that are community-based uh, or hopefully viral, whatever, social sharing type of situations, I think there's a difference between those two companies. You've got these people doing the social sharing and it's like, that's a whole different ball game because everybody's coming with their own definition of whatever it is to connect around a product versus I've got a product, I can solve your problem, and I know who you are and what you're about, and I know where the pain points in my business are, so I'm not hiding them or ignoring them. You don't know who I am and what I'm about when I call with a problem. You really don't. Well, hang on. You bought their product, so yes, they do. That's my thing. If a good a, and uh, you want you want to know who my favorite company is? My favorite company in terms of this. Can you guess? Can you guess? Apple. Yes, my favorite company is Apple. They think about what I want before I want it. Yep, I, I was in the Apple store last week at the Genius Bar, and, you know, they just, I, I had a 9.15 appointment, they saw me at 9.15. The guy did everything that had to be done, solved the problem, sent me on my merry way. It cost me not one cent, because wow. they want your yeah. products to work well. Yeah. They want you to be happy. They want you to come back. You know, I mean, they're not a perfect company by any means. No. Nobody is. But, oh, my God, you know, in the Soho store of Apple, they have 350 employees there. And those people don't work on commission. They're really there to help you. It's mm -hmm. mind-blowing. So, okay, let's, uh, uh, let's take a step back from the customer service aspect of it. Because, Jess, you mentioned earlier, and I don't remember if it was in the green, green room or not, but uh, that, that empathy... That kind of empathy, and, and Scott, I'm going to ask, maybe I'll ask you this. Where does that come from? I, uh, because, you know, you can take training manuals and lessons about customer service, but to actually be an empathetic company, where does that come from? Where does it have to come from? That's a bit of a leading question, but I want to ask you if, if you know any companies like that, and you can maybe give an example. Uh, I, th I think there's a difference between an entrepreneur or a small business and then a very large business. The larger the business, the more of a systemic problem you have because at some point you have investors and the reason why you're in business is to return uh, uh, you know a, a fair return on your investment you're you're in business to give the investors as much money as they possibly can well you go too far in terms of ignoring the customer and then the line starts to drop down so you have to be empathetic you have to do the right things to attract uh, your your customer but if you go overboard then the bottom line 
goes down, you're giving less money to your shareholders, and you're not fulfilling your core mission in life. When you're a an entrepreneur or a small business person, you've got you know much more latitude to be able to go all over the place um, and if you want to be empathetic uh, you certainly can and uh, in fact that gives you a competitive edge the larger the the uh, the company the larger the business the more difficult it is as in you know you have to maybe call upon something that is inside you you are just a good person inside so therefore you might go beyond that minimum empathy that is required for the return on investment for the you know stockholders you are either extremely empathetic or you're a psychic because that's a great lead into my next point I want to make uh, and that being do you think perhaps because we talked about the social media and this kind of comes in the context of social media we always you know use the example of social media taking us back to the village square you know where we get to know someone personally but since, you know, post-war and especially since the 80s, uh, it seems to me that there has been a movement to take empathy out consciously, take it out of the equation, to be unempathetic. Because if you're unempathetic, you don't mind cutting thousands of people out of your company. And the stock market, as you mentioned, that's a whole different thing that's playing against being empathetic. So, so now you have the social media thing, and everybody talking about being social and social marketing, which clashes with that. And maybe that's why people are having a, a, an issue with it. And maybe that's why smaller companies are more able to, to pivot into that kind of role than big companies who are kind of set, especially public companies, who have to answer to their, to their shareholders. I'm okay. showing that. Okay, I have to jump in. The thing, here's, the bigger the company, I actually think it's, it's interesting that you say the empathy is taken out and we're all about efficiency or streamlining if we're part of a bigger company because we have to cut jobs. There were some very big macro global economic events that caused companies that were continuing to do things the same way and they didn't pull their head out of the sand and then they had to make some really really tough choices and I bet you those tough choices were put off by the people who had to make them as long as possible because we are all human and we hate to see other people in pain that's just something I mean there are a few of those that few of us that aren't like that but in general the majority of us we don't want to see people get hurt and I think we tend to avoid problems or address symptoms or shuffle them to the side instead of dealing that with them inside companies until it's too late you have a good point, Jess. I mean, I, the first time I ever fired anybody, I <laughs> agonized over this. I, I mean, still do that. I, I, you know, I was up nights. I, I just, I, I kept giving him chances and chances and chances. And finally I said, I'm sorry, this just is not working out. And you know what he said? You really should have fired me a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so he, and, okay, so he knew it was coming, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this was, I'm talking about people who are so far removed from people. But I don't know. think they are. That's the well, thing. But there's a whole well, period there where they were. I mean, I, I don't know, you have to even watch Wall Street. or wasn't there, Isn't there a presidential candidate or someone who wanted to run? Mitt, 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 Rom, Mitt Romney, uh, you know, lost the election uh, partially because he uh, had a hedge fund that, you know, the business model was to go in to buy and under something or other, extract the resources, fire people, and then turn it around and make a big profit. And, and he put and dogs he, on the roof when he went on vacation. It was all over. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's get to the second because we're, we're 
this I love this conversation. I should have to think of this for another, another well, there's, show. There, there's there's a Maslow's uh, hierarchy as well. App. The yes. only reason, or maybe one of the reasons, why Apple can be so empathetic is because they're the wealthiest company in in the world, and they can afford to do this. They've got so well, they're rolling in so much money. Not that way. But well, that's just that's just I well I mean that's that's very obvious. Um, you know which came first, the chicken or the egg? Somehow they they found that sweet spot. But I'll guarantee you that if over the next fifteen years that money dries up and then all of a sudden they've got you know huge big problems, you know that customer service that you really love that's eventually going to go away. What's interesting about Apple and and excuse me for taking a little bit of a detour, but they've built such a formidable brand loyalty that people really identify with it. So they don't have to do social media. They don't have to talk, you know, about the brand and how much they care about you and all that because they show it in their service and in their products. And people really are, love to be associated with them. I'm sure people probably have tattooed an apple on their ankle. Uh, I mean, they, that, they know the value of that. So I'd be very surprised if that, if, if that changed. I think but there because is that's, an example. And that is Dell. And when Dell took their eye off the donut, you know, and went into the hole, I mean, Michael Dell let his company go down the tubes. People were complaining in droves, including me. I was one of the proponents of Dell Hell. I mean, I ended up getting a whole lot of money from that company because of the terrible, shoddy computers they were selling at the time. And, and Michael Dell had walked out of his company the way that, you know, Steve Jobs was fired at one time. They had to bring him back. And that company still hasn't come back from that. Because they did not listen. Okay, so how do we go about being an empathetic company? How do you do that? Because I, you know, as you said, I mean, it's a company culture thing. So it has to, it has to come from the top down. How do we go about being an empathetic company? Treat your employees right. Can you do, can you transform that without transforming the leadership? No, I don't think you can. I don't think you can. And I think the first thing is to look at the vision, mission, and values. Because the vision, mission, and values of a company is going to articulate how much empathy will trickle down, if any at all, would be my thought. And then if you're looking at your middle managers who end up getting all of the things shuffled to, right, the stuff, the symptoms people don't want to deal with in their company, where they think the problems are because they're the loudest, they're the, they're the squeaky wheels that might actually just be indicative of something larger underneath, those middle managers really need some help and it's hard to have to deal with that stuff on a regular basis over and over and over again and really I think it comes down to problem solving. If you can problem solve, you can recognize is this something I can fix or not? And then there's some relationship building in here across, across uh, department, if you will, in the sense that, okay, who do I need to know to help me find a solution that maybe can get this deeper issue fixed? And it can come from other places, but it takes a lot of will and it takes a lot of energy. And we are, are in a time where we expect fast response. <laughs> if we don't get that fast response, we have moved on. And because our customers think that, our, we as employees and us, when we're in the consumer role, we might think that, but we have to think differently when we're sitting in our role at our computer, behind our desk, or in front of a client, or wherever we happen to be working or not working, because things move slowly. They don't, they're not necessarily instantaneous. The front side could look really great, and you're doing a great job if it looks instantaneous. Recognizing there's a whole bunch of work behind the scenes is something that typically gets missed, and we don't give ourselves the time. 
Do stores uh, still do ghost shoppers? You know that kind of yeah. thing where you'd hire someone to to be a, yeah. to, uh, to be a, a shopper. Because I'm wondering, maybe not just department stores. Maybe we should all businesses could kind of do that. Have someone you know basically walk the steps of a, of a client. Who's it kind of depends on what you want to compete on as well. Because you know you want a competitive edge, and maybe empathy is one way. It might be that you want to compete on price. And even though I love uh, Amazon, and I think that they treat their employees really great, the New York Times disagrees with me. And it might be that they can they can uh, hire drones instead of people, and you know have very cold warehouses, but. Boy, I sure like that uh, to be able to pe uh, purchase from amongst 300 million products and have one of the best prices around. Well, so. I think there's a contract when the customer goes to a place for just the price. That's it. You have no mm -hmm. kind of emotional connection to a company, but they always have the lowest price. I think in your head, that's a contract that you're signing. I mean, you're saying, I'm not expecting anything else. This is the cheapest place. I'm going to go for the price. Do you think most people fit that uh, demographic? I think a lot of people do, and I think that that's one of the issues in retail today. But but personally, I'd rather pay more and know I'm going to get decent service. You know, uh, I mean, if it's going to be a dollar or two or ten dollars more, I'd rather do that, knowing that there's somebody on the other side of the phone who's going to help me if I have a problem with their product. And, and maybe that's a luxury we have, BL. That maybe that other people don't. You know, uh, because yeah, I mean, this look at Walmart. Who evidently is tanking a bit? They're having uh, some some issues with their stock. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, you're right, Scott. I, but and maybe we're talking about a certain strata of company that if you're like Dollarama, do you have Dollarama that kind of thing down there in in, in the no, states? Dollar stores. Kind of definitely a store you go to, not for the ambiance when you walk into the store, but you go there because it's cheap. You don't want a connection with the sales staff. God forbid. But you know, you, you go with their first cheap. So talking about empathy with a company like that, maybe kind of, you know, doesn't make any sense. Kind of irrelevant. I don't know. You know? Nonetheless, you know, th there was a store like that in my neighborhood, and it just so happened that the guy behind the counter was a really sweet guy, and he did care about what you did. It's about the people that you hire, and it's about the leeway that you give them to make decisions yeah. and you know most companies don't and uh, Eli is uh, saying that Amazon Turks a great place to hire secret shoppers my experience um, hiring people to do a whole lot of different things is to go to um, SAG and AFTRA and hire uh, actors because they'd much rather do whatever it is you're going to hire them to do than wait on tables I guarantee it that, what a great idea I, I love that being an having been an actor before what a wonderful idea you can open an agency BL I'll help yeah. you. <laughs> we'll have an agency that can hire secret shoppers for anything. You want if you have an online company, we'll hire people to go in and, and, and subscribe to your That'd be fun, don't you think? That'd be a super idea. I like and, that. And you heard it here first, gang. Are you from the house going to be uh... <laughs> But also I want I want to mention because uh, Eli had also mentioned something here that I think uh, talks to some a point that I want to bring up here is that you know, fast response needs to be baseline now, obviously, because we live in a very fast-paced uh, society, which is why you shouldn't even have a social media profile if you don't answer questions mentioned exactly in a time, timely manner. And that, that is so true. Because um, yeah. social media is one of those things that you can use to help your company become empathetic. That's how you get to build relationships with people, hopefully your customers, right? You get to know who they are by their interest. If you, if you go on Google+, Plus, you know quickly what their interests are. There's no excuse for not knowing your client other than your priorities are maybe in a different place. 
You've got to give people the ability to make decisions to actually be able to help people, even there. We haven't talked about one uh, big, uh, you know, the elephant in the room maybe, and that's monopolies. Because if you're a monopoly, and I've got a graphic here I'd like to share bef I, I, in, the in the closing minutes of the uh, the show. It's Lily Tom uh, Tomlinson. And hey, Tom. uh, Tomlin, I mean, and what it is is that she said, the next time you uh, complain about your phone service, why don't you try two Dixie cups with a string? We don't care. We don't have to. We're the phone company. <laughs> I was mentioning with Scott, with Scott, you know, the, the, we go back to this, you know, the, the rationale, you know, when in companies, oh, no, we can't do that because the budget says no, uh, or no, the programming doesn't allow us to do that. It's our or, policy. Or, or one time I was at Future Shop, and I was saying, really? I had to go up and down the escalator three times to just do one exchange? Well, that's kind of how we do the system, because it works seems the best. I said, well, for who? And that's, well, that's you know, the we, point. we get locked in the systems, and they're not, they don't think about the customer. They're talking about internal systems that benefit them, not us, right? Well, okay, I'm going to close with this, that just because it benefits them, if they've done it right and they've done their research and they've solved the problem and they know they're solving a problem and not a symptom, the end goal for things like that are because it ultimately helps consumers. Now, if it doesn't, there's some tweaking that can occur, but think about ticketing systems. Think about the do-it-yourself stuff that people have moved to to help people help themselves oh, faster. Oh, there's a special place in hell for that, Jessica. There is. There's, you know, this whole self-serve thing is just some sort of propaganda they put. But here's the thing. No, they, people, are, we're going to go over because this is really important, and I think you're right. They thought it would be this magic bullet because that's what they were sold. Customers want to help themselves, so let's put every answer to every customer service problem out there for our people to peruse. They're going to love it. Which is, I'm like, dude, no, ah, because I, your problem BL is going to be slightly different than Ray's problem, which is going to be slightly different than Scott's problem, and maybe all of them together have a common element, but my particular problem was not solved, and I'm not going to wade through hundreds or even ten or even five options to try and figure out my problem. I, if I see more than five, I'm on the phone, and we're trying to find one, and I think that's where customer that's where customer <laughs> service or streamlining kind of gets missed. They forget that last step. So how do we use all of this stuff to make a concise, easy way to get people what they want? If yeah, that's so that's really a perfect example of a company not thinking about in the customer's shoes. You know, I mean, uh, the, even as simple as websites. Oh, if you want this information, you have to click over here. And oh, cool, click over here if you want to find that. But oh, then go back to this click if you. You know, <laughs> or it's like I had this discussion with George because I do most of the grocery shopping, and and our grocery store there used to be they had put those self-serve checkouts. Which I abhor. Oh, I hate those. And, and and because I can never figure them out, and then you end up sending someone over, and by the time, and I'm thinking, you know something, that might work if you're going to take 10% off my grocery bill, uh, you know, since I'm doing the work for you. But why would I do all this work myself and pay the same amount of money that I would if I have someone else checking that out? You know, I just don't get it, and they think they're doing us a favor. Anyway. We've gone over time, and I and, and since we're over time, I just want to give each of you a chance to, to with a, a farewell uh, quote or something or or advice uh, before we take off. So who, uh, Jess, uh, BL, we'll start with BL. Well, you know, I, I don't think a lot has changed since the days when I did uh, consumer complaints by writing letters to the president. If you don't get an answer right away and, you know, 
15 minutes is a dog year in internet time. You know, if you don't get an answer right away, go online, find out who the president is, call the company, ask for the president's office, and somebody there is going to help you if they answer the phone. At Yahoo, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice jab there, BL. Uh, Jess. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect, BL. That was perfect. Scotty. I, oh, sorry, Jess. No, that's I, okay. I was. It was good. Okay, so I just needed a minute to regroup a little bit in the sense that we know the group of people that we're targeting in our individual businesses or large businesses. We know who those frontline people are, and it's really important to tie the perspectives of every hat in the company to that end consumer, and to do it in a way that makes sense so that what people say they're doing, what people say they want versus what they actually do to get what they want is how a company can respond. Uh, Scotty. And I'm going to wrap it up just by saying I've got a sneaking idea that the blab that's going to be following this uh, uh, show is going to uh, be lively and very interesting. Oh, thank right. you. Yeah, so we have a, a post-show blab, but today it'll be starting at, at 1 o'clock. We try very hard not to talk about blab in our blabs, but that's proving very, very, very difficult. So anyway, I hope you can join us. It's uh, uh, blab.im, Ray Hiltz. Uh, and hopefully we'll see you there at uh, 1 o'clock. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Michael, and thanks, Eli, for, for jumping in with your contribution. It was very, very helpful. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.